You'd love to go in and homebrew rules for Monopoly? I would love to go in and homebrew rules. Monopoly is a is a god awful game. Monopoly sure. is is it, it takes like what makes a game? It's it's a, a challenge, a competition, a, a story, a, a creative set of building blocks. Monopoly takes all of that out and and by by extension absorbs the fun out of the experience and replaces it with like a capitalistic lesson. Like what the fuck? Mm, not even really though. I suppose if if. I know luck is involved in every facet of life, especially within capitalism, but I I would say the RNG in Monopoly is so a part of the game, so ingrained with, I mean, listen, it, 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 and this will be a a good transition, it, it goes to D&D as well, where a lot of the times, how you're going to do, how your character is going to perform is very much up to the roles. Everything you try to do is up to a d20. The difference is that in D&D, winning is nebulous because sometimes yeah. that's not even the point. I, I would argue... So so you brought this up in a recent podcast. You said you don't like when people suck at D&D. And I, right. all, I caught myself because I almost said... There's no such thing as being bad at D and D. I disagree. <laughs> well, no, you no. What you, what you are responding to is is there is an ideal version of play that you enjoy, and when people contradict that version of sure. play, that's, that's true. That's then you're saying they're bad at it. But but the thing that I love about D and D is that you can play a hundred games with a hundred different groups of people, and it could be completely different every time you play. And and it's unique and it's it's personal, but it's like a shared experience, and there's nothing like it. And, and that's what I, I love about I the game. I agree. I'm just saying that there are people who seem to die off every campaign very early and need to roll a new character every time because they make dumb dumb decisions. <laughs> there are people who who are bad at staying alive. <laughs> Sure. Yes, right. And I would argue that is bad at D&D. Listen, if your character is uh, a complete masochist who is absolutely going for death. And by the way, like, uh, we've been doing a campaign now for, what, six, seven years, something that? Something like that, yeah. And I have played purposely passively because that is, I believe, how my character wanted to be. But as I get bored, I do find myself getting wildly aggressive (laughs) <laughs> because to me, being risk averse isn't fun. And right. I know that's not the same thing for everyone. By the way, first off, we can say why we're doing this. Uh, the HBO boys are going to be doing a D&D campaign, more D&D campaigns, but specifically one that I'm currently creating and on a constant basis. I believe we're going to get start recording it in June and it's a campaign. It's not a one-shot. Uh, we're going to be doing the Halloween uh, one-shot, I think, every Halloween. Uh, and then I think, you know, we did the Call to Cthulhu campaign. I was just listening to that recently uh, and loved it. And But I will also say, for the record, I'm doing this interview with Chad because he's the DM of the campaign that we've been doing six years now. And has taught me everything I almost know about DMing. <laughs> and, and I will also like to say, uh, for the record, in order to get into character as the DM for the game that uh, Ryan has mentioned, I am now three beers in. Nice. 
I didn't ask you to podcast until very recently. So I, <laughs> that was a choice that you made. <laughs> what made you want to DM in the first place? Do you remember your first game? Um, yeah, no, I do remember my first game. Um, I remember my first game as a player. Wait, hold on. DMing is dungeon mastering. Perhaps we should. So, so for people who don't know, D and D is a, it's a collaborative storytelling experience where, um, there's one, uh, player who is called the DM and there's various number of players. The game is designed for four players who are PCs, player characters, and they create a character in a world that the DM creates. In a world. In a world. In a world that the DM creates, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they and the, the DM is kind of like the the god of the world. Uh, they make the rules, they make the stories, they make all the characters that um, the player characters have to interact with, and the player characters obviously represent the character that they create. Right. The DM creates the structure that the PCs interact within. Exactly. And what's born from that is this shared storyline that is, I argue, greater than the sum of its parts. For sure. That is a, a very kind of unique experience. And if anybody out there... Uh, has not played D&D. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard of D&D by now. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard of D&D. Uh, I highly recommend you try to put a team together and and play because there's nothing like it in the world. I absolutely love this game. The, I think, most important part for me and understanding, like, if someone has never played D&D before. Say you're trying to jump off of a deck and land on the ground without breaking your leg. You have to roll a dice, and if you roll badly, you're going to break all your bones. <laughs> and if you roll well, you do a very cool superhero jump. If you describe that in the way that you want to do it. Anyway, what made you want to DM? Do you remember your first game? You said that uh, you were a PC first, obviously. Yeah, I was a PC first. Uh, actually, my first game, we did like a round robin kind of thing where we had a player character... Uh, everyone had a player character and then one of the player characters subbed in as the DM and we kind of went in circles just to kind of like play, just to have fun. Um, and I remember, um, I got really caught up in all of the rules. And I think this is a trap that a lot of players and especially DMs get in where they try to learn everything that they can and they try, it's called, I mean, some people call it min maxing. They, they want to. Yes. They want to make sure that everything is is by the book and everything is uh, at the best that it can be. You make no bad decisions and everything is perfect. And that was my experience the first time I played. I played a wizard. I played an elf wizard. Wizard first, huh? That's right. Yeah, I went I went with the easy one first. Sure. Yeah. Uh, wizards are very difficult. Don't be a wizard if it's your first time playing. Which, by the way, Sam, my girlfriend, wizard first time playing, took her about five years to learn how to be a wizard. And now she's <laughs> an incredibly adept one. Right, right. And if she can stay awake during the game, she is. Uh, she causes the most chaos. Absolutely. I wouldn't put that on her. I am by far the person who has fallen asleep the most. That's fair. And it's great because you're the healer. So sure. uh, when when the healer and the wizard die, everyone else is in a bit of trouble. Yeah. I, well, except for the fact that our main tank is uh, the most wildly overpowered D&D character I've ever seen. For now. For now. We're all going to die. <laughs> it's fine. We'll get there. So I played that character for a while. And then I realized that what I loved about the game was the moments that you didn't plan for, was the bad rolls, was... Uh, there's something called a dump stat where it's like the thing that you're bad at and you you find yourself having to do it a lot. That brought about the most fun. Um, and then I kind of changed my philosophy. And then I didn't actually start DMing like full time. Uh, I haven't been a player character in probably 10 years. 
I ran a very short campaign for a different group of friends. And that's where I really kind of I, I dove in headfirst into DMing. And I found that what I liked the best was creating situations where the players can work together as much without me as possible because it's mm-hmm. th- it's their game. I, I I set up the the arena and the game belongs to the players. And I feel like I have the most fun and have the most successful when I feel like I've given the players enough agency and information right. to solve their own problems and then create new ones right. and then have yeah. to solve those in turn. Right. And then somehow go thirty years in the future. Okay. So uh, <laughs> the first game you DM'd. What was it? Was it a uh, homebrew or was it a uh, something you just downloaded online? Was it a one shot or did you just go straight into a campaign? Um, the first game that I well, everything was a little homebrewy. The first one that I, I DM'd full time, it was uh, a homebrew world. Um, was it? Is it the same world that uh, our group currently plays in? No, but I would be lying if I didn't say that I pulled some of the uh, you, some bits yeah, that I borrowed. liked. I borrowed from the stuff that I liked from that campaign. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was a homebrew world. So homebrew is obviously it's it's something that we generated in house. Uh, a lot of flexible custom rules. It's not a world that exists. Um, in any of the books, there, there's a couple like Greyhawk and Ravenclaw, Ra- Ravenclaw, not Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw, Raven- baby. <laughs> Ravenloft d- worlds that exist in like D and D ethos uh, that you can you can have your games take place in. I built everything myself, which is I get maybe that's my god complex. Sure, I have one of those too. So yeah, nothing Star Academy, anybody? Exactly right. The uh, perfect example of a person who cannot let go of any particular detail and must uh, drive the car in their own world. But you know, one of the reasons. So again, uh, in this upcoming uh, HBO Boys D and D campaign, I'm going to be DMing, and one of my main reasons I wanted to do that is because I was looking forward to giving chad a pc experience one that i i know i knew you wanted to do and it you know that was a a smaller small percentage of it the main percentage was i love storytelling and uh i love overthinking and i love uh, and the previous god complex that we just discussed right (laughs) uh so here's one uh we have not completed yet the campaign that I play in. Does it have a name, by the way? Do you like have an overarching name? Like if you wrote it all into a book of six years of playing, what would the book be called? Um, it, I, I have it saved on my computer as uh, the regular adventure. <laughs> the regular adventure. Okay, I just needed something to so I could just stop saying the campaign that we play. The team is called the Three Four Regular Guys, and uh, and the name is just so bad that it's permeated through. Um, right. <laughs> The three or four regular guys, which is all of that information is incorrect. Right. There is a girl. Uh, there are five players. <laughs> right. Which is, I think, our favorite part about it. Uh, <laughs> but again, going on six years, but it has not finished yet. So we cannot currently discuss it at a 30,000 foot level. But can you tell me the impetus for the world that we play in and describe the experience of uh, DMing this particular group, which, by the way, it has uh, Sam, who plays uh, the Queen of Dust slash Lady Shay on Nothing Star. It has JR, who plays Apto. It has uh, G, who plays Gilcrest Dank Bagel. It has Mark, who plays Magnus Peppercorn slash Dr. Blitz Aversack slash Grigory Brintz. 
and it has me. I'm not missing anybody, right? We at one point I had Jarrett who uh, plays Judas Cradle, but that, that he died. He died. It, yeah, so, or, it, it also at one point had James who plays right. Um, it started with James, yes, who because James is a well adept D and D player as well. He ran Call to Cthulhu, uh, which you can go back and listen to those three episodes on this channel. They're my favorite thing we've ever done, and please go listen to those things. But anyway. Uh, describe the experience of what DMing this group of human beings, a group of human beings that this audience should be well aware of as long as they're listening to Nothing Star Academy, which you should be, and the impetus for the world as a whole. So um, the first session that we ran, I designed it as a one shot because I didn't know if anybody would be interested in playing again. We actually were playing it because James was uh, about to move to uh, to Vietnam at the time, and we wanted to have like a fun gathering before he did that. So I built it as a one shot, and then at the end of the session, I asked you guys. I remember vividly. I said, "This is the point where the story can either end, or if you guys want to continue, I can. I, I will open up the threads that I've dropped in the session to uh, to to expand the world beyond this story." And I uh, think it was unanimous. Actually, it's kind of funny because because uh, uh, Ryan Gettner. Um, he, uh, he didn't actually create his character. Somebody else created his character and they didn't show up. So he played that character. And Who I was re- that, uh, that was, uh, Paul, one of James's friends from, uh, from Oh yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Gettner never made his character. He, uh, he, he adopted it, but it has become him. Darius, oh, oh. uh, Darius, the rogue is his character. Yeah. Mark plays Vane rock, the barbarian. Sam plays Helja, the wizard. JR plays Nutta, the druid who I believe he also didn't roll. No, uh, and we, as he, he came he, in late, he showed up. He showed up for um, actually the final battle in the second arc, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll play." And then we just we went to online and found like a a character generator, and he's been using that character ever since. Right, because COVID. Right, um, and then and then you who plays Kyrus. Right, I forgot about me. Yes, Kyrus, the half elf healer boy that's what he is <laughs> so uh and and uh so uh, gettner who he we kind of had to trick like force him into playing he sure. he had a blast and he was really excited to continue and and that was inspiring especially uh, yes because he very very specifically was like i'm gonna hate this and yeah. then he didn't someone who is turned immediately their joy becomes palpable and kind of seeps through the entire game, which is, I think, a thing that will probably happen a lot. And if you guys out there have played D&D, I bet it's happened a good amount. I think it's a testament to you as a DM. And I think it's also a testament to our group who most of the time, I would say, and this is like one of the most important things about the game, any game really, is that the number one goal is having a good time, sure. like having a good night, and the number two goal is not dying. And sometimes when I get mixed up in those two things, it becomes less fun. But I have to remind <laughs> myself like, right, 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 it's supposed to be a good time. Right. Yeah. So the thing that a lot of people don't they think about playing Dungeons and Dragons and they think about the picture of it in their mind. But what you don't realize is you're playing with a bunch of your friends. So, mm. so the way that you play, it's, it's so flexible that all the relationships that you have with your friends at the table 
will will bleed into the game and it will make the experience that much better. And, and I think that that's like if you play with a bunch of strangers, yeah, it's going to be super awkward and you're going to feel weird and it's going to be probably a bad time. But if you play with a bunch of your friends, you, you, there's no way you don't have a good time. There's just it's just impossible. But anyway, so to- there's one way. There's <laughs> one when you fight. There sometimes is fighting. Yeah, D&D has some issues, and combat is certainly one of them. And uh, next time we run, like, a long-form campaign, I have some changes that I want to make to combat to make it a bit less uh, of a drag. But to go back to your earlier question, um, after that session, when it became apparent that you guys wanted to turn that that one shot into a full campaign, I I went home, and um, at the time I had a lot of free time on my hands, and I basically designed an outline for the whole world. I created the land of Aspera, which is the, the, the known realm in like the, the, the three main continents in, uh, the world that you can travel to. And, and I gave a history to them. I created, uh, major cities. I created major landmarks and like a loose kind of background. Um, I also created a pantheon, um, which is like a, a collection of gods that, uh, exist, that exist in this world. Um, and I, need, I needed to make sure that those gods matched the themes that I wanted to play off of yes. in the game. And that's really important. Sidebar. So I'm now six, the 16th episode of Nothing Star will be coming out tomorrow, 4.15. And I truly never gave an idea as to the pantheon of Nothing Star. I didn't know what gods were real and what gods weren't real. And then it presented itself right in front of my face. I was like, oh, I have to figure this out right now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> because it is beginning to matter. And I, I mean, if you listen to any HBO boys, you will understand my uh, reservations for stories that are led by God. The The ability to have free will is incredibly important to me for characters in a story because who cares? I literally just said this last night on Moon Knight 3. Uh, I am not interested in the emotional journey of a puppet. I just don't care. It, it doesn't make me want to care. So hmm. I, I did that recently. And now I know because we're also doing, uh, I think, a Nothing Star one shot or two shot this summer that gives like historical background as to that world and i was like oh no i don't know fucking anything (laughs) yeah yeah it's um i mean there's a way you can do it where you don't you don't have everything spelled out but you need to have kind of a vague idea at least um and, and and admittedly when it came to this campaign i got really excited and I, I went overboard. I, I definitely yep. I definitely detailed more than I needed to detail. Oh, believe me when I say I'm currently writing the outline for our upcoming campaign. And overboard is a goddamn understatement. My world is not even a made up world. It is our hometown. <laughs> and it, like and it's a confines of like a population 14,000 pretty small town and somehow i fucking did it i <laughs> i i somehow overthought that it's it's really easy to get caught in the weeds and and the best and worst part of it is that uh your players and by extension the, the listeners of this podcast they will never hear about it never <laughs> i look forward so much to when our campaign is done so that i can look at all of the literature that you created yeah it, because it, <laughs> as i w- i'm writing the literature now for our upcoming campaign all i can think is like god i want to show these guys this so bad 
I'm putting yeah. so much work into this and they're and they're going to ruin it. I just know it. Well, <laughs> well, what we're dancing around here is uh, a very common uh, occurrence in a D&D session. Yeah, Matt Mercer taking a piece of paper and ripping it down the middle. Sure, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, you went straight for like a deep cut. So Matt Mercer is, is probably the, the most famous DM in the world right now. Right. Um, Number one, probably Matt Mercer. Number two, Brennan Lee Mulligan, who I stan uh, of Dimension 20 of, of College Humor. I That's would say the, Chris Perkins is up there, too. Mm, B-Wall, too. I've been, I've been watching a lot more DM stuff lately. Yeah. of just like, <laughs> how do I do this? So what happens is uh, a common occurrence, a, a DM will, will plan, let's imagine you're going down a road and there's a fork in the road and uh, one side of the fork has a, a city made of gold and it looks very inviting and there's there's uh, attractive men and women there gesturing you to come over and the other side of the road uh, is dark and foggy and smells and there's undead demons and monsters over there trying to convince you to to go their way uh any dm would assume that the players would want to go towards the the gold city where things are happy but inevitably players turn left and right. you, you have to throw away your script and throw away your story and, and now you're an improv yeah uh, it, now you're improving exactly you're off the top of the dome and it needs to sound like it was all together this is a good transition to what is your philosophy on pc independence and can you use splooge chester as an example <laughs> splooge chester uh yeah. yeah so i feel like you need to allow players to have agency in your world if a player doesn't have control over their environment, they're playing Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and if they're if they're playing Final Fantasy, they don't need a DM, they don't need a table, they don't need dice, they don't need the storytelling because what they're asking for or what they're getting at that point is a uh, like a, a like a fixed flow chart. Right. Like you you have to do A, then you have to do B, then you have to do C. And that works sometimes in some instances, but in general, you want to make sure that the decisions of the characters affect the world around them. Otherwise, it, it doesn't feel like it matters. Um that said, uh there's such thing and I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit, Ryan. This might be good for you to know. Love um this. there's such thing as false agency where you give the players the illusion of control, but really what happens, regardless of the decisions that they make, they'll end up in the same place. Or you, you un- Right. There are just some parts of a story where you can't just rip up the paper. Right. Where, especially when you're reaching arc end games, you have to funnel them towards something specific because it's the end of the story and it's the end problem that they must deal with so they can pretend like they're trying to get away from it but they're going to fall down a hole into the final battle and no matter what so just just to make a, a a pitch to somebody who is totally unrelated to us um there's a youtube channel called xp to level three um, and a little while back, maybe a year or two ago, um, he released two videos. One video 
was um, about The Hobbit, and one video was about The Lord of the Rings. And he told the stories in the context as though they were players. There was a D&D session, and it was how players were interacting with the DM. And oh, I think, shit, I'm interested in this as fuck. Yeah, and, and, and it's a really interesting breakdown of how players will interact with the world in different ways, and how that affects the... Uh, the way that a game is played and it's it's the difference between railroading which is like you're you're going on a track and you you have to go the way that you go and uh and just like open world free exploration and it's 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 a really cool dive into it i, I really i like a lot of the stuff that he does xp to level three is the name of the channel railroading specifically if you go back and listen to the hbo boys halloween episode that is a perfect example of what railroading is. And a lot of one shots, I think, do it more often just yeah. because, hey, man, we're only here for an hour and a half. You can't go off and make a fictional city that you run, play The Sims uh, as a, as a mini game. Right. You got to go do some very specific shit because we're only here for a short period of time. Yeah. And, and the fun in those like railroading, I, so I'm, I'm against railroading in, in broad terms, but like you're saying, there's situations where you have to do it. And when you do have to do it, you need to make sure that you leave gaps where personality can shine through because that's where the player gets enjoyment is, is like the brief moments where you have a chance to affect the story without affecting the plot. Right. And by the way, Splooge Chester is the Sims yeah. minigame that we play in the regular game. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so just real quick context. So the name of the city was Slewchester. And yeah, that, it, that stood no chance. It, it was currently in occupation by a bunch of uh, half giant Goliaths. And when they when they liberated the city, they decided to install their own government and rename the country. Or renamed the yeah the, the kingdom and they renamed it to Splootchester and they called the new government the Elite Regular Council. Yeah. <laughs> which is my favorite thing I think that you guys have done. The Elite Regular Council. Right. We like the counterpoint. Yeah. Uh <laughs> counterpoint is important to us. Yeah. So and that and that's that's kind of the thing, is is there's situations that happen organically in D&D that are just like like French kiss poetic that you you couldn't write if you wanted to. P.S. And by the way, we very recently fought a Tarrasque outside Splooge Chester and then basically dropped an island on it. Man. So <laughs> it's still yes. going strong, though. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I like Splooge Chester, and 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 that's that's actually to go back to DMing, being flexible. I, I think a lot of DMs, if they're if they're rigid in their thinking, they would just say, "Well, you can't rename Slewchester. That's the name of the place, and I have all this background for Slewchester." Well, no, you know we got to roll with the punches. I decided to allow the three four regular guys to be this uh, the, these lords that oversee this council that. Uh, recreated this government and it led to a lot of really great fun experiences right i, I think we're both kind of describing here is a large part of DD or a, a thing that's very important is that everyone's having a good time and 
when you try to railroad in a moment where it feels like the group of people you're sitting in front of will come up with something better, funnier, more interesting to them, mm-hmm. specifically to them, not to you. You sometimes just got to be like, just let them fucking do it, baby. Right. Well, so here's here's the thing. You might think that you're smarter than your players, but they are more than you. So listen. There's a lot of them. So listen to them. <laughs> right. They just have more minds. You are but one person. <laughs> right. While they are a collective. And by the way, they're thinking about the game in their off time as much, not as much maybe as you are, but they are thinking about it and they're coming up with exactly what they would like to do next time. And then you ruin those plans and they ruin your plans and everyone's just ruined. It doesn't matter. So <laughs> say you're DMing a specific session and this has absolutely occurred to us and the PCs are rolling terribly, just multiple nat one in a night that sure. one by the way on a scale of uh d20 which is one to 20 one is a critical failure it's going to go really bad for you and 20 is a critical success uh you know sans modifiers we won't get into that right now but it's just all going wrong in that moment do you consider at some point that hey this is uh because some of the greatest moments i've ever had in a D game were from a nat one yeah, we're from someone tripping over their own dick when they are <laughs> able to jump 50 feet in the air with their eyes closed and not giving a shit. But somehow this jump just went a fucking rye. But yeah. the, it, it's not ones where it's like the eighth one in a row and it's not fun anymore. Is there ever a time where in the back of your head, perhaps you must or you feel like I'm going to alter thresholds or story beats on the fly just because if I don't make this a little different right now, I'm going to lose them. Yeah. Um, you're constantly adjusting for that. It, it's uh, it's a difficult game to play because... So, so th- what the DM can do is they get to control when a player gets... To, when the player has to roll. Um, and, and one thing that early... That like new DMs do a lot is they, they over-roll their players. Like, you want to... Climb a set of stairs, roll an athletics check. Well, no, everyone can climb upstairs. You, you want to try to the read... The largest a- fight you and I ever had in a D&D game was you made me roll a history check for something that I, uh, as my character, had been <laughs> studying for a lifetime. And you were like, well, you just got it. You got to roll to see how much you remember. And I was like, oh, the thing I've been studying forever... I have to see how much I remember. And I believe I was mad because I rolled poorly. And like, if I had rolled a 20, I'd have been like, then this is great. Right. <laughs> Everything's really cool. But I rolled poorly. And I was like, I've been reading books about giants for fucking ever. And I rolled a four. So I just don't remember it. And you were like, yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> I took that poorly. Well, that's, that's the other thing. So, so maybe I made it, I made the wrong call there, but at the same time, I need to respect the result of the die. Which is what I was getting to. While you have the the ability to adjust how how successful someone has to be to succeed, like wh- how high they have to roll to succeed, and when they get to roll, you also it, it's it's a double edged sword because you also need to make sure that when they do fail or when they do succeed, that they feel that success and feel that failure. So I apologize. I don't remember the specific example you're talking about, but that I just described it 
fully. But what I will it, say is... It sounds is, like I made the wrong call. <laughs> I think you did, personally. But what I will also say is I agree 100%. If there are no natural ones, the nat 20s don't mean anything. Exactly. If everybody succeeds all the time, or, or there's an understanding that you will generally succeed at the things you try to do, then the tension of rolling is gone. And by the way, we've now been playing for six years. That was a lot easier to accomplish when we were levels one through ten. When we weren't playing basically demigods who, uh, like, there was a point... I think last session where you were like, you can't go back to that city. Everyone's mad at you. And I believe my point was like, fuck all those people. I'll explode them. Like (laughs) they are not me. I don't like, I'm of course, if there is an army of 10,000 people and they all let loose an arrow at a level 20 D and D character, there's a lot of arrows and 20% of them are going to be D twenties crit. And you're actually going to die. There's just no way to get away from that much. It doesn't, matter how much of a god you are you're going to be pierced by some of those arrows but i could level a town pretty easy (laughs) in situations like that all i can say is your dm is listening yeah right exactly right (laughs) as you start leveling towns the towns are going to get harder all of a sudden crazy i mean there there can be consequences beyond mortal consequences for actions that you take right because the pantheon is always watching like <laughs> that that's the gods have an understanding of the things you've been doing well, not, by not the way. even not even i wouldn't even go to the gods i just mean like like if you went into a town and you blew up the town because they didn't like you you know word gets out and when you when when it comes to a point where you need information or you need the help from somebody around you They'll, they're not going to want to work with you. Like they're, they're run away. Yeah. They're, they're going to run. They're going to, they're going to hide. They're going to run. Your, your, your reputation will precede you and, and you will be ostracized from the world or worse. Um, there will be other parties who will consider you to be their enemy, who you are the, the big bad and they will find ways to banish you to the outer dimensions. One of my favorite moments from the regular guys campaign was, when Sam, I'm not going to say accidentally, but w- without an understanding fully of what was going to happen, sort of burned down a village. I knew you were going to talk about this. And yeah, because it's awesome. But like, <laughs> not so much for the village. And I want to say from said village, we uh, as a group took a person from it. I don't it could have been in another session completely, but there was like a guy who was just with us all of a sudden who we wouldn't let leave. Yeah. And Vane Rock slash Mark was very attached to and very much looking forward to using uh that NPC in the future for his benefit. But uh, the largest cornerstone of Kairos, the cleric that I play's background, is that he is so anti-slavery to a point because he grew up as a slave that he believes death is better than being a slave. So during the night, he killed Vane Rock's new friend, no, and no. I got in a very real fight with yeah. Mark at you, the no, table. No, no, you better better than that. You hired Getner. Yeah. <laughs> to kill him. <laughs> yeah. That's a sm- just clean my hands of that one. Yeah, no. And and that's um that was the best worst uh, moment because you guys had like a like a passionate legitimate like an emotional connection to what was happening in the story 
And uh, you were both right. You were both right in that situation. The problem actually in that moment was that Mark thought I did it because I hated him in real life. Like, he was (laughs) like, why would you do this to me? And I kept being like, no, Kairos made this decision because I think that's what Kairos would have done. In fact, I know that's what Kairos would have done. It's like his whole thing. And he's like, you hate me. Why? (laughs) And Gettner was like, I just want to kill stuff. So he killed. Right. So he did it. Which yeah. is like, is his whole vibe. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's Crumbopulous Michael from uh, he, Rick yes. and Morty. Here I go. Kill it again. Here I go. Kill it again. Time to go murder. <laughs> so you're going to be a PC in, in my upcoming game, as we have mentioned before. In fact, I'm about to announce the title of it to the world in this moment. <gasps> it's called, and you're hearing it first, it's Home. In HBO Boys D&D campaign, uh, No Place Like Home, perhaps, uh, both a working title, but the word home's going to be You should it. call it Kansas. Yeah, no, I will not. Ransom Kansas, baby. Anyway, uh, that's a deep cut. D- so currently, the team is and will be having an entire episode where we like describe the characters and uh, and get ready for it. But the team <laughs> is a cleric, wizard, and bard. That feels oddly you, oddly personal. We'll describe the characters who are ourselves in our hometown. Listen, I think it's going to get more complicated than you think because okay. <laughs> um, uh, because of... Actually, I'll talk to you about that in one moment. But okay, like, okay. okay you, there's a cleric, wizard, bard. You have no tank in the group. So that might be an issue. You don't have to speak to that, but are you just... Are you excited to be a PC in something longer than a one shot? Are you afraid a little bit that giving up the ring is going to is going to hurt a little? So, I'm excited to play a player character. I'm excited to to be on the other side of the DM screen and yeah, maybe a little bit, but I know that if I keep my flourish to like the actions that I want to do and and you make me roll for them, then I think that'll satisfy me. What I'm most excited for, and this is, this is oddly, oddly selfish and, and strangely power grabbing again, but, but what I'm really excited for is to show my group, my, my D and D group, how you can be a player character and like where you can take your liberties and and make interesting character decisions not that you guys don't make interesting character decisions but like i feel like you don't see what's in my head but i see what's in your head and this will give you a chance to see what's in my head i love that and i'll say before we get into some deeper minutiae about home i am absolutely going to need help (laughs) <laughs> in some of the uh, more detailed parts of this game, I beg of you to blow past my feelings when I'm going to get something wrong and just tell me the facts. They'll be edited out, those parts. Don't worry about it. And what I will also say is <laughs> I at least once a session am going to say something to the effect of, I don't care, Chad. <laughs> and, and you're going to deal with that, and I hope that will be okay with that, you. That's fine. That's that you got to respect the DM. I love that. To dive a little bit more into home and HBO Boys D&D campaign. Again, the setting is our hometown. You, James and Adam are playing a version of yourselves. But this is also all of this is, is new to everybody except for me. It's in an alternative reality. So the choice of like, it can be Chad Prime, but it can also be Chad 2.0. And the reasoning that I, I instilled a alternative reality into home boys a or home a hbo boys dnd campaign is oh no you gotta call it home boys home boys uh, wow well i would without but there is a there's a tinge of not chill in that though <laughs> but we'll see how it goes okay to and this is not 
a huge spoiler, you have to assume if it's a D&D campaign, something bad is going to happen <sighs> in the setting and the characters are going to have to figure it out, right? But it, it hits a little different when the place that the, the bad stuff is happening is the where you grew up your entire life and the things that are bad and are happening are happening to your loved ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, no. It, right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, not specifically your loved ones, but, like, there is going to be a cataclysmic event on a grand scale in our hometown, and the lives of people that we know in a fictional world will be affected, except for the fact that they don't have to be because it's an alternative world, and if you just want to play a D&D campaign and you want to be like, you know, in this campaign, I don't want to pretend like I'm not only trying to save the town, but I'm also trying to save my very real in-life wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little little much. You can just be like, I'm Chad. I'm this exact age, and so far, I'm very single. (laughs) Like, (laughs) in this alternative reality, based on the historical context that is not the same in the real world, I'm different because that would be weird. But But, but, but Ryan, but Ryan. Yeah. Who's going to bring the dad joke energy? Love that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. In fact, (laughs) that's I'm going to be having this conversation with, hopefully maybe just James and Adam didn't listen to this and so they just know it. But I'm going to have this conversation with both of them as well where I'm like, listen, I think it would be easier to detach yourself from the emotions of like real life shit because this is supposed to be an escape. All games are, all entertainment is at, at, at its core, escapism. So, you know, if you don't want to deal with some, like, real life, like, where's your mom? (laughs) She's not in the house. (laughs) I don't know, man. Go look for your mom. Like, I'm not going to fucking have two straight episodes where Adam's like, no, I don't care about your shit, Ryan. I'm finding my mom. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, I have to figure out. Like, and uh, if if y'all want to do that shit, you're absolutely going to be able to do so. But I also was like, I need to give them the option to be like, I'm alone. I'm here and I'm alone. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know how i feel about that yet i gotta i gotta stew on it for a bit listen me either i I wrote so much of it and then i had that like one day a light bulb over my head like oh no (laughs) oh no i chose to do a DD campaign in our hometown for a lot of reasons the the first of which was like i'm just interested in the history of our town and i wanted a reason to dive really, really deep into it, to go on, like, go to the historical society and ask them to go on tours and shit, which I'm doing, to learn more about it and to instill actual history into the backstory of the D&D campaign, which I won't be telling them. Well, also, just, like, how great is it that, like, we all know the setting? <laughs> like, right. like I don't, you don't need to waste any time explaining, like, how far away the sandwich shop is from the marina. Like, we know. Exactly. You know exactly how much it takes to get there. And there will be times when you're, like, you're in this one place and you have to go to this other place. And you're going to be like, that's like five minutes, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as long as uh, this might be too inside baseball. But as long as uh, the gas works. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I got to turn left on Route 1 here. Oh, I'm going to be here forever. Right. And also, I'm very well aware that, like, uh, James is always uh, averse to doxing himself uh, and doing something like this. So I'm just calling it hometown. We never have to specify, although we've said it so many times on this podcast where we're from. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, 
my last question to you before we go, what is something that you wish you knew? Like if you could go back to day one of DMing, what would today, Chad, tell that person that you feel like would make the experience of DMing early on a better one? Oh, geez. I think it's some combination of uh, separating the uh, story from the event, if that makes sense. So I would spend so much time plotting different ways to get my players to get to the same place so that the thing that I planned could happen um, when really what I should have been doing is planning my occurrence to be able to be anywhere, which is just like a long way of saying, don't prep so much. <laughs> get, right. a, get an idea. Get an idea. Like prep what like you need to prep. Like if there's like a puzzle or if there's a like a specific monster you want to throw at your party or if there's critical information write that shit down everything else give yourself a list of names of of npcs Mm -hmm. and then give yourself a list of places and like have a a general idea of like where everything is and what's happening and how everyone would react to it and then just just trust yourself to know that when your when your players do a thing you will be able to fill in the gaps when you need to. Uh, cause so like, I can't tell you how many times I made, I made campaign notes where it was like, what does Cena think about this? What does Evelyn think about this? What does, uh, Kalushis think about this? Like, just in case you ask, what is, there's a, there's an NPC named Chad. What does Chad think about this? Yes, there is. <laughs> there really is. We named an NPC Chad. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the PC's characters' sons. They could have named them anything. They named them Chad. Sam just named to fuck him with Chad them. specifically to fuck with you. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, and, and I need to trust, you, you need to trust yourself. I needed to be able to trust myself more early on to understand, to trust my NPCs to know how they would feel about problems that were brought to their doorstep because I spent way too much time preparing for things that never happened. Yeah. And as it turns out, Perhaps if a PC asks an NPC a question, an NPC that's been in your head for uh, a long period of time, trust yourself that the the next sentence out of that NPC's mouth is not so far away. Right. Right. Like you can go grab it. You're going to know better than you think you will uh, what everyone in your world's feelings on the terrible things the PCs are doing, what they will feel about that. Probably negative or unless they're like, you know, bloodthirsty animals, then positive. Well, I mean, I think you just revealed your intentions when you talk to any NPC. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah no i'm I'm not trying to kill most npcs i, well, I, I it, like it, you know it's funny them. because a lot of major npcs who i had major plans for they met an un, an early demise right who's the biggest one which npc did you have the most shit for that you couldn't or uh don't have the ability to use because they're either dead or gone kalushis kalushis yeah Locke. for sure yeah yep for yep sure. they just they they decided they didn't like him we 
dumpstered that mo- that fool. And and then, and then there was a situation Twice. where yeah, there was a situation where he was in danger, and they just let him die. And then and then to their credit, they revived him, and then yeah. they let him die again. Yeah. Well, that was I don't think planned, but very funny. Yep. Yeah. I think about it all the time. How funny that shit no, was. No, Kalushis Lock was, it was a major character. And finding a replacement for him, uh, it took a little bit of time to make it not feel like I just introduced Babushis Clock. And it was, you know. <laughs> and I don't even think you know who that person is yet. I don't think you've identified who that person is. So I think I did a pretty good job organically introducing a replacement. Yeah, probably. To be fair, if I could go back six years and talk to... uh Level one PC Ryan, I would be like, "Hey, bud, would you remember when you think thought that you don't need to take notes? You're <laughs> fucking wrong. You're so wrong because you were doing a recap the other time, uh, one of the last sessions. And I was like, this is like a new story to me. Yeah. I, don't, I did any of this, and I don't remember at all. I did like a full story recap from the beginning. Yeah, it was like li- watching a YouTube video of a person." <laughs> That I didn't know. Uh, talking about a story that I've never even heard. <laughs> I want to tell you this story real quick and then we'll be done. My first D&D experience was a one-shot run by Horror Adam slash Other Adam. Uh, <laughs> as uh, as you all know him and, and Chad, you I assume you know who I'm talking about. Yes. Of yes. course. Yeah. Um, and it was a one-shot where he was smoking a hookah next to him the entire time. It was the first time I had ever seen a hookah in his basement. And I was like, how are your parents letting you do this? <laughs> and we were, our, we, I was a teenager. I had no indication as to what D&D was. I played an orc who could jump over buildings and smelled like shit. And that was it. People would run away from how I smelled. And I could jump really high. And I remember nothing else of the experience. So. Yeah. One of the. That's it. That's one of the the the, fir- the only times I got to be a player character was for a game that he ran. A D- he was the DM for it, and I think we only played two sessions, and we got so far up our own ass, like making sure that he couldn't outsmart us. That like we it was it it was just it was a bad example of D of D and D. It was just it was a bad experience. No, no fault to his, no fault to me. It, no fault. <laughs> yeah, definitely not my fault. <laughs> no fault to the other players. It, we just like we were so overly cautious that like we were invited to a to a a a, a play uh, like a musical or something, an opera probably. We had tickets and we didn't trust the tickets. We like decided instead to go through the sewers and find a back it's a door. Trap. Yeah, everything was a trap. And, uh, and yeah, and we never, we never finished that campaign. And I think about it to this day. I think about that because you just didn't go to the fucking play. It was a regular play. We didn't go to the, no, no, we went to the play, but we climbed through the sewers. We fought giant rats. We wore like dusty, dingy, old, moldy costumes. Those those giant rats didn't exist in his brain prior to you getting in the fucking sewer. And he was just, he was, he was punishing us. Angry. Yeah. Yeah, He was punishing you for being assholes. He was like, now you're going to fight a rat. That you shouldn't be able to be. It's like I, I something was going to happen at that at that opera, and you were going to see it happen, and that was going to kick off the story, and you fuckers didn't do it. And now you're in the sewers, yeah. you dick bags. <laughs> 
and now you're in the sewers, you dickbags. By Ryan and Chad, the new upcoming D&D book. So yeah, thank you very much, Chad, for doing this interview. Uh, everybody will be discussing Homeboys, a, a HBO Boys D&D podcast coming up, I believe, in June. More and more as we get closer. And this was fun. I like D&D. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.